grow, multiply it over, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's give with joy this morning. So the other day I heard the true story of a second grader. This girl was telling a story when she was a little girl and she went to school and uh, while she was at school in second grade, her friend Rachel came up to her and said, I need to tell you that I saw the tooth fairy. And she said, what? She said, yeah, I woke up in the night and my dad was putting money under my pillow and he took my tooth. And she goes, oh. And so later that day, this girl says she went home. And told her mom, she said, Mom, I know who the tooth fairy is. Her mom said, really? Who? And she said, it's Rachel's dad. <laughs> and her mom said, yes, it is. You, it's Mr. Mitchell. You got it. And for years after that, every time a tooth disappeared, there was a note under that said, thanks, Mr. Mitchell. And uh, it was signed off. And she just grew up thinking her friend's dad was like the tooth fairy for the longest time. And uh, she's like, how cool is it? My dad just comes home from work and that's it. But he gets to go out at night and like leave money for people. And like he had the coolest job. But there comes a point in life where we come and we, we reach the end of make-believe, right? We, we stop believing in Santa. I hope I'm not bursting any adult bubbles here. But Santa and the Easter Bunny and those things, the the make-believe kind of ends and we come to a reality where we go, this is what the real world is like. But the truth is, reality is that there is a spiritual supernatural realm. There is a there is a supernatural beyond the natural world we live in. Supernatural. You take those two words, you've got the natural things, the things we can measure, the things we can touch, but there is something beyond that we live in. And, and we are spiritual beings. We have an identity in the spiritual realm that can't be dismissed or overlooked. And we're talking about understanding our spiritual identity. That we operate in this realm, and it's important as we operate in this realm, that we have an understanding of who we are as as christians as followers of jesus and what how we operate because can i tell you that that paul warns us he says that the world we the spiritual world we operate in there's no it doesn't have the carnal uh weapons of warfare that we would have we don't have uh uh, swords and shields and guns and things like that he says we operate in in a realm where where it's a spiritual war that's going on where where there's there's um strongholds that are being torn down in the spiritual realm and we are if we are in a battlefield of the spirit realm we better know what's going on i would not want to be dropped into a war zone and be going i don't know what's happening i don't have any tools at my disposal i'm just going to wander around and hope for the best we should know who we are and where we stand and so um today we're going to start off jumping into matthew chapter 3 if you have your bibles open them with me matthew chapter 3 starting in verse 11. Jesus says this 
I'm sorry, John the Baptist says this about Jesus. John says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then in Acts chapter 2, kind of a continuation of the story, if you jump to Acts chapter 2, very first verse, it says, And on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. We are Holy Spirit-filled followers of Jesus. We are Spirit-filled followers of Jesus. That's what this is talking about. And that's the, the last thing as we close this series out about our spiritual identity. Is we need to understand that we are Spirit-filled followers of Jesus. And Jesus spoke extensively about the Holy Spirit during the hours before His arrest. And even after His resurrection and His trial. In the book of John, chapters 14-16, through 16, He told the disciples. He said, actually, if you have your Bibles, I told you we're going to be jumping around a lot. John 16 Uh, Verse 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Keep your finger there, right there on that verse. But he says, the helper will not come. Now, the Greek there is paraclete. It means uh, you're you're, you're confident, the person that's going to help you along. But we know who Jesus is talking about. And he goes into it further. But When we look at the Bible, as we read through it, we get glimpses of the Holy Spirit throughout the whole Bible. Um, This personhood of the Holy Spirit is actually revealed in in just increasing detail as you read through Scripture. As the story unfolds, you see more and more uh, clarity who the Holy Spirit is and what His role is. And by the time we reach the end of the book, it's so apparent how essential the Holy Spirit is in a follower of Jesus' life, especially in the end days. Especially in these final days as we're getting so close to the return of Christ, we see the evidence of how important it is that we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible expresses, as it talks about the Holy Spirit, especially in the New Testament, five distinct ways we can and we should encounter the Holy Spirit in our lives. Each one isn't just like a momentary event, like a specific event that happens and then you move to the next, but rather it's an ongoing process that empowers us to grow in our relationship with God. And so the first encounter we, can ha- we have with the Holy Spirit is called conviction. The Holy Spirit convicts. I told you to keep your finger there in, in John chapter 16. Um, continuing on in the next verse, in verse 8 it says, Jesus is still talking about this paraclete, the Holy Spirit. He says, and when he comes... He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. You see, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. When we're not right before God, the Holy Spirit is that, uh, that twang within our soul that goes, something's not right. You, you, some, you aren't standing right before God. And it convicts us of our sin. And this is not the same thing as shame. Shame is a very different thing than conviction. You see, shame is a tool of Satan that he uses to to keep things hidden in your life so that it never gets dealt with. How many of us have ever had shame and we bury it in our life? We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to bring it up. 
Shame is something that the enemy would want to use for us to be shut down, to keep things hidden in our life. Rather, the Holy Spirit's conviction is something that draws us to repentance, recognizing that there are areas in my life that are inconsistent. There are areas in my life that, that need to be addressed and dealt with, not through constant guilt, but by drawing us to greater righteousness. Conviction as opposed to shame is something that inspires us to hope for a change, inspires us to be transformed, which leads us to the second encounter we have with the Holy Spirit, very naturally leads us to this next encounter, because conviction should lead us then to regeneration. The Holy Spirit brings about regeneration or renewal. In the book of Titus chapter 3, it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about mercy and grace? So God does this thing through mercy and by the washing, it says, of regeneration and renewal of who? The Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Regeneration, renewal. This is even better than any show you can find on HGTV about a renovation of a person. Just a complete gutting of, of all the old dead self and complete renewal into a new creation. Second Corinthians 5, Paul reiterates this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, all has become new. The new has come. So being born again is the greatest miracle that any person can experience. Once we've experienced this, uh, this, 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 this experience of renewal, we have a hope that lasts forever. And we have experienced this regeneration and this new life. And then we can encounter this third role that the Holy Spirit plays. And that's in the indwelling in our life. The indwelling in our life. You see, when we are, when we are renewed, when we come to an ex- experience of regeneration, the indwelling means that the Holy Spirit moves into our life the moment we're born again. The moment we're born again we experience, and we experience this regeneration, we then have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? So we have the Holy Spirit within us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I've had people ask me before, I have, I have dear friends in, the, in, um, in some different uh, movements, Christian movements, and they've asked me, they've said, so you're Pentecostal, do you believe that since I'm not Pentecostal, I don't have the Holy Spirit? And I say, absolutely not. Every believer in Jesus has the Holy Spirit. The, every, every follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit living in them. Um, we've, when we've been born again, we have the Holy Spirit living and abiding inside us. You don't get the Holy Spirit at another time. You don't, you don't acquire him at another point. But in John chapters 14 and 16, like we were just reading through, that Jesus talks about, Jesus promises that his indwelling spirit would help us and comfort us. It would teach us. It would remind us of his words. It would lead us in all truth. It would speak to us. It would show us things that are yet to come. And it would ultimately glorify Christ. And as the Holy Spirit dwells within us, as, his, as it works within us, it then brings us to this fourth work of the Holy Spirit And that is in our maturation. We become mature through the work of the Holy Spirit. I think most of us are aware of what the fruits of the Spirit are, have heard of the fruits of the Spirit, right? In in the book of Galatians chapter 5, it says, But the Holy Spirit, everybody say, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. 
Do you see how these are all developments in our lives that are being molded more and more into the reflection of Jesus? The Holy Spirit working within us as we are, as we are then being matured as the Holy Spirit indwells us. So we've got the conviction of the Holy Spirit leading us to regeneration, regeneration leading us to, to maturity. And, and then Jesus says that all that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I said that the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Do you see that Jesus just said the Spirit will make known to you what is already mine? As, 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 as we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, the character of Jesus becomes more apparent. We begin, begin to take on the mindset of Christ. We might say, I used to be ruled by anxiety. Fear would cripple me, but now I am increasingly ruled by the peace of God that passes all understanding. You might say, I used to let anger control me. It would flare up in a moment. I didn't even know where it came from. But now gentleness has begun to rule my temperament as we begin to take on the mind of Christ. You may say, I used to carry on uh, just a a constant bitterness that was just festering in the background. Even if I put a smile on my face, I just felt an anger, just a twisting in my stomach. But now joy and forgiveness have replaced those controlling emotions as the mind of Christ begins to take hold in our life. And as we mature, we have this fifth element of the Holy Spirit that is talked about in the New Testament, and that is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, there are isolated moments where the Spirit empowered individual people. We see it in uh, the prophets. The Holy Spirit comes on them and they prophesy. We see it in uh, the judges, people like Samson, where suddenly the Spirit would come over him. He would turn into He-Man and just go and break stuff and, and kill people with jawbones of donkeys and stuff. And like suddenly the Spirit comes on, comes on him for a moment. We got kings where the Spirit of God would come over there and th- them and they'd prophesy and write music. But these were for specific moments in time for specific people. But then when we go to the New Testament, suddenly on Jesus' death, the veil is torn in the temple and full access to the Holy of Holies is open to everyone. And this experience of God's presence is available for all of his children. And this is the promise that the prophet Joel spoke of when hundreds of years before Christ, he prophesied and he said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That all people will be able to have the same anointing spirit that was happening in the Old Testament just for particular moments in time for particular people. And so Jesus is resurrected and he's going to return to the Father and he tells the disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the spirit that would, he said, clothe you in power. Clothe you in power. This is not a power suit that they would be putting on. This is a a supernatural power that they would be endowed with. This baptism of the Holy Spirit was something that Jesus promised the disciples both before his crucifixion and after the resurrection. He said, it's coming. There's going to be a time where the Holy Spirit falls on you and you will be empowered. Now, it's important we understand the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a different and distinct thing from the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. You see, being born again is a wonderful thing. That's when we are made new. But it is a separate and distinct thing from being baptized in the Holy Spirit. As you read through the New Testament, every person we see who receives the the baptism in the Holy Spirit was already born again. Did you know that? Every person who receives the baptism in the Holy Spirit had already experienced salvation. They had already experienced the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 19, Paul goes to this, uh, these group of believers in Ephesus and he meets them and he asks them a question. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they go, the what now? 
He said, the Holy Spirit, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? They said, oh, we got John's baptism. We got a bath. He said, no, 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 no. You need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He says, but this is like the, the thing in the infomercials. But wait, there's more. Paul's like, but wait, there's more. This is even better. I've got, there's something better news I've got to tell you. There is, there is, there's even more. They had been water baptized, but had an unclaimed promise to receive. An unclaimed promise. It would be like being best friends with like Mark Cuban, a billionaire, you know, the guy from uh, uh, Shark Tank. Best friends. And then one day he's like, by the way, have you been using that credit card I gave you? And you're like, the what now? Oh, there's a benefit of being my best friend. You can use that credit card anytime you want, anywhere you want. I'd be like, how have I been missing this? There is a, they, they, re, they realize there is a, 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 an unclaimed promise that we have not yet received in following Jesus. Yes, we have salvation, we have the hope, but there is power we can have in our everyday life. And so they, they have the joy of their salvation, but they want to live with greater empowerment in their day to day, in their, in the world that they're encountering and the people that they're talking to. And so being baptized in the Holy Spirit then opens a door for greater spiritual intimacy with God. So, so this baptism gives us power, but it also gives us an intimacy with God. As we read earlier in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but someone's coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, the word baptize in the Greek means to immerse. It doesn't mean sprinkle or spritz. It doesn't mean slightly dampen. It means full immersion. And so when Jesus, when, when, when John says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, it means to be fully immersed with God. That is intimate to be fully uh, covered over and wrapped around and completely surrounded by the presence of God. That is the intimacy that we're talking about here with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. To be totally submerged and immersed. God wants to immerse you in himself. An intimate, full encounter with his presence. Experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit then opens the door for greater spiritual power. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit falls on you and you will be my witnesses. The baptism isn't just something that happens to us, but it's something that happens through us. The baptism in the Holy Spirit isn't just something that happens to us. It's not an event that just occurs, but it's something that then moves through us. If you look at the posture of the disciples, it's fascinating. First of all, we've got Peter. We're very familiar with Peter. When, When Jesus was arrested, he's like, never heard of the dude. People ask him, aren't you one of his friends? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even live in the same region as that guy. Three times he denies even knowing Christ. Just literally a few weeks later, the disciples are meeting together. The Holy Spirit falls and it says they were sitting together. And the Holy Spirit falls on them and they began to speak in other tongues and fire falls from heaven and a roaring wind. They can hear this and people are gathering around and then the posture of Peter changes. He goes from running and then he's sitting when the Holy Spirit falls. But what does he do? It says he rose up with the eleven. There's a posture change. There's a confidence. There's a knowledge of this empowerment that comes over Peter. This fearful Peter suddenly is standing up and where, where they once were sitting and he stood up and he raised his voice and he preached to the multitude under the power of the Holy Spirit. We can have that empowerment. So who's it for? Who's the Holy Spirit for? Is it for like, if you have a certain level of credentialing within the assemblies of God? Is it for, is it for missionaries? Is it for people that, that tithe a certain amount? The truth is, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is for anyone who has experienced the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Who is, who is born again, who has received Jesus as their Savior. 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter's talking to the crowd. He says, each of you must, first of all, repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And listen to this. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's all there was to it. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But church, let me tell you this. This is why I am not a cessationist. This is why I believe that, that the charismata is still active today because of what he says next. Here's what he says, and he's quoting this from the Old Testament. This promise is to you, it's to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. This promise is not just for this moment in time. It's not just for this little gathering. It's not just for for people that are living in the first century. This is for your children's children and people who live far away. This is a promise that goes from here forward. The charismatic move of the Holy Spirit is available here and now. And this is what Peter says to the crowd. And so if you are a person that has been uh, forgiven of your sins, experienced the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, let me tell you the baptism in His Spirit is available to you. In 1 Corinthians 14.5, Paul reiterates it and he says, I would like for every one of you to speak in tongues. Every one of you. Now he's talking about uh, the the priority of being able to prophesy and edify the church here too. But he says, but bottom line is, I want all of you to be able to speak in tongues, to be filled with this Holy Spirit. And this promise is to every one of us as followers of Jesus. But you see, the thing is, I say that, but a lot of us automatically disqualify ourselves. We say, I'm not holy enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm like a B plus Christian at best. Which is looking at the gift backwards. That's looking at the gift backwards. You see, the gift of the Holy Spirit is not a reward or a merit badge for being exceptionally spiritual. God's like, you hit it, you hit the mark, you get the Holy Spirit baptism now. That's not a merit, but rather it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live this life out. To live this empowered life out. So, how do we know we've received the baptism in the Holy Spirit? What's the mark? What's the, what's the evidence? Well, uh, when you go to the store and you buy something, the cashier gives you a receipt, right? At Costco, they, they check it on the way out the door. Sometimes at uh, Walmart, uh, when you're in the biggest rush, that's when they want to check it. And that receipt is not the purchase. That receipt is the proof of the transaction that it happened. That receipt is the proof that it occurred. And as we read in the accounts in the New Testament of what happens when people are filled with the Holy Spirit through baptism in the Holy Spirit, there is a consistency of this account over and over. There's actually four different accounts of people receiving the Spirit baptism in Scripture. One of them in Acts chapter 8, it it talks about these people receiving the Holy Spirit. It doesn't go into specifics about the response, but it does indicate that it's very observable. There's there's someone who is basically a witch doctor and he sees what's going on and he says, I want that power. He sees something observable going on. But in the other three accounts, it's very evident. First of all, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. They were all speaking in other tongues. Then there's a story um, where they go to the house of someone named Cornelius who lived in Caesarea. He was not even a Jew. He was a Gentile. And they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues. In Ephesus, in Acts chapter 19, this is the story we talked about earlier. Paul shows up and says, if you receive the baptism, they said, what's that? And when they were baptized, they began speaking in other tongues. As the Spirit enabled them. You see, this was not an experience when it happened, interestingly, that surprised any of the disciples. I feel like I would be surprised, but they weren't surprised. Do you know why? Because Jesus told them it was going to happen. 
Not just that the Holy Spirit would fall, but he gave them the evidence that they should be expecting. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus is talking about it to them. He says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, and they will speak in new tongues. This wasn't a a shock. They had been told by Jesus that this would occur. And so they were expecting this fall of of God's presence and power to come in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when it happened, they they knew what was happening. It wasn't catching them by surprise. And they, they, they felt the empowerment and they spoke it out. And that power is available to us today. I'm going to ask our pastors and our elders to stand and, and join me at the front of the platform right over here on my, on my left, your right. You see, spirit baptism is all about God directing and empowering our speech. Spirit baptism is about God having control of our speech. Um, if I can trust God to order my words in a language I don't know, how much more can I trust him to use my words in my language in the, in the words that I do know? Have you ever thought about that? If I'm trusting God in, in, in the things that I don't even understand what I'm saying, how much more can I trust him in the words that I do use? I think about Paul in the book of James. He talks about the tongue being a restless evil and, and that, that we can't control it. But when we say, I yield this to you, God, he can use it for his glory and we can be built up. You see, tongues truly is an assault on our pride, isn't it? I like not sounding like gibberish. I like for people to think that I'm a pretty intelligent individual. But we don't have a clue what we're saying when we speak in tongues, but only that what we're speaking sounds strange, don't we? But I think God chose tongues to be the evidence of spirit baptism because it it directly confronts our pride and my control issues. And it yields it to Him and His power. And so today, we are distinct, distinct people. We are a Pentecostal people. And so today, I want to give you this opportunity to respond and say, I want this filling of the Holy Spirit. Can we stand together, church, right now? And we're going to give the opportunity to respond. To respond, if if you have been living your life and you've been following Jesus, I praise God with you. I celebrate that with you. But if you say, I want whatever's available to me. I want what's more. What, what the thing that, but wait, there's more. The, 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 I, want, I want that unclaimed promise that maybe I've been missing. I want to invite you to come forward this morning and receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But before we do, I want to do this. If you are in this space, in this room, or maybe watching online, and you've never given your life to Jesus never experienced the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in your life, the joy, the fulfillment of knowing that He is working in you to make something new and beautiful for where ashes once lived, new life can be born. And that's available to you. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment? If you're in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus and experienced the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, new life being stirred and born within you, and you want to give your life to Christ and say, Holy Spirit, enter my heart. Begin that new work of bringing new life to me. I want that. If that's you in this room with our heads bowed, I want you to raise your hand and raise it high. Raise it high. Thank you. Yes, anyone else? Yes, I see that hand. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. In just a minute, I'm going to invite those who want to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit to come forward. But I also invite you, if you've given your life to Jesus, to come forward as well and find one of these. Tell them what you're here for. If you've given your life to Jesus, they want to pray with you. They want to connect you with what it means to follow Jesus as you start this life of discipleship. 
But right now, church, to the saints in this room who have experienced the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, He's working at developing the fruits of the Spirit in your life, but you want more. You want the filling of the Holy Spirit. Right now in boldness, I want you to come forward. Find one of these to pray with right now. I encourage you to step out. Step out in faith. Say, I want to receive it this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, yes. Yes, come forward, please. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can find, if you'd like to find uh, Melissa right down here, she'd love to pray with you. Let me tell you, church, that I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that most of us in this room then have said yes to receiving the Holy Spirit, that have been filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, God wants to baptize you in His Holy Spirit. We don't need to convince Him. It's a gift that He wants to give us. And, and, uh, and we can't earn free gifts. It's not about convincing Him, but it's about receiving. And maybe you didn't feel comfortable coming forward. Let me encourage you. Perhaps the filling of the Holy Spirit will give you a new boldness, but I want you to pursue it even in your homes. Many of the people that I most admire in ministry that have been filled with the Holy Spirit were filled with the Holy Spirit in their own bedroom as they were praying. Were filled in their car as they were driving. It starts with pursuing God. It starts with pursuing God. There's never a wasted moment of pursuing the Holy Spirit. You may say, I've pursued the infilling of the Holy Spirit and I feel like uh, it's never happened. It's not coming through. Can I tell you to continue pursuing with persistence and patience, but there's never a wasted time where we ask, where we pursue God, where we're spending time with Jesus. So continue pursuing us. You might say, well, I'm not an emotional person. Do I need to get emotionally worked up? Do I need to feel the sparkles? No. We're all wired differently. We're all wired differently to, 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 to some of us are very emotional people. Some of us are like an oak tree. We just have no response. That's fine. We're all wired in different ways, but God can work through us. It's not about an emotional response. It's about, uh, it's, it's about God working through us. And his, we don't have to feel like a necessarily moment of, of power, like we're suddenly like uh, uh, the Hulk or something like that. But rather, there's a movement of the Holy Spirit as he begins to operate with, a, with us. So it starts with pursuing Jesus. And when we feel the Holy Spirit coming upon us, then it's about cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Every reference to people being filled in the Bible doesn't say that the Holy Spirit then spoke in tongues. It says that then they spoke in tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. It's not the Holy Spirit controlling your tongue. We don't lose control of our faculties and our body, but rather we operate in, in, in concert with the Holy Spirit. It's a process of cooperation. And let me tell you that there's going to be a time where we're praying and we're worshiping. And we just start lifting up the name of Jesus. Church, together, can we just lift the name of Jesus? Lord, we praise you. We glorify your name. Jesus, you are so good to me. You are so good that you give good gifts. You came for me. You came and pursued me with your love. Lord, when I was lost, you came to find me. I could not save myself, but you poured yourself out. Love poured out as I could not do it myself. I thank you, Jesus, for your love that is perfect. When I am imperfect in my love, when I am so far fallen, you are so perfect and patient and kind and good, Lord. I glorify your name, Jesus. You are so faithful, God, day in and day out, 
generation to generation. I look back on your faithfulness. I know you will be faithful tomorrow as you've been faithful today, as you were faithful yesterday, Jesus. I glorify your name. You are so good, oh God. You are so good. We thank you, Jesus. We glorify you. We thank you, Jesus. We praise your name. We praise your name. And as you praise the name of Jesus, if you are seeking the infilling of the Holy Spirit, lift him up with your words in English. Just glorify him. And then stop. And if you feel the Spirit moving you, begin to speak in a tongue that you don't understand, that you can't define. Now our minds play tricks on us. They say, well, it might just be, you know, you ate a bad burrito last night. Trust the Holy Spirit begin to speak out and you might might stammer don't step it back but believe and trust in God as he works and speaks through you up Holy Spirit that we would pursue you as the church that is in the last days that that Paul and and Barnabas and Silas and and Peter and James and John looked ahead and saw that this was the church that would be in the last days as Jesus's return got ever near that we would not resist and run from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit but we would lean into it we would lean into our need for empowerment from on high that we can't produce on our own that we can't do just through being really good studiers or really good moralistic people, but we need the Holy Spirit to fall on us in power and might and with with conviction, Jesus. We need you now more than ever, O God, as this church stands on the precipice of eternity. That God, that you would move in this place, that you'd move in individuals because as a church, we are built of people that need you. Built from individual building blocks, living stones, We are not just a one big conglomerate, but we are individual people, individually redeemed and individually empowered by your Holy Spirit. And that each of us would take that call upon ourselves. And we thank you for it, Holy Spirit. Stir us up, O God. Stir us up, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning. Let me tell you, if you have been pursuing the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to continue. It's not a lack of faith. I've known many people that have pursued the filling of the Holy Spirit for a long time. Continue pursuing Him. And if you, again, feel frustrated because it's unsuccessful, there is no such thing as an unsuccessful seeking of the baptism. You've been successfully seeking Jesus. You've been successfully spending time with Jesus. But when that Holy Spirit power comes on you, trust Him and step out. When our minds want to take over, say, Jesus, I am yielding to you. We still have our will, but we yield it to Him. And let the Holy Spirit move in you and and propel you to be used in mighty ways. Amen. Amen. Church. I believe that God is going to pour His Spirit out, in, Spirit out in mighty ways in the coming days, in the coming weeks to come. Um, let's lean in to our need for the Holy Spirit, His conviction, His regeneration, His outpouring, 
his presence, as he matures us, and as he empowers us through fire. Amen? Amen. Church, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We will see you next Sunday. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful day as we pursue God and as we talk about missions for our world. Remember, that's going to be at 11 o'clock. God bless you.